The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. everybody welcome to the tfl classics podcast so if you're new around here my dad and nathan talk new cars at the beginning of the week and then brendan and i talk classic cars and everything in between in the middle of the week and brendan what's the topic today today we are trying to start a fight between us by talking about the cars that we each ate so in typical tfl classics podcast form we selected 10 vehicles tommy picked five i picked five each of which that we hate, and I think there's going to definitely be some disagreements on this list. And probably some in the comments section as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure some of you will disagree with our picks. Some of them are actually quite popular and quite loved vehicles that we just don't like. And some of them are probably well-deserved on the hate list. But before that, quick rant about breakfast foods as always. Hash browns. Today's topic is hash browns. Oh my gosh, hash browns. Hash okay. browns recently have been getting too crispy. Too, too crispy. Too crispy. What's wrong with crispy hash browns? Because they verge on the envelope of burnt. <laughs> well, if they're black, you know, like charred, then yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat that. But I like a good crispy hash brown. I would say if a hash brown is solid brown, that is too burnt. Oh man, what do you like it like mashed potatoes? I recently had one <laughs> just this morning actually yeah. that was thin strips of potatoes, lightly fried, and that is the move. Yeah. Nice and peppery on there, got a little bit of squish to them when you bite into them. I am now a big proponent for slightly squishy hash browns. Did you put ketchup on them? Absolutely, I did. Oh, that's again, you ruined them. What? Well, you didn't <laughs> ruin them. You said they were like perfectly peppered and then you just ruined them with a bunch of Ketchup. Corn, high fructose corn syrupy (laughs) tomatoes. The best condiment, if you will. (laughs) If I could eat hash browns with mayonnaise, I would, but clearly that's not an option at many breakfast places. I I would say that's better than ketchup, honestly. I would rather have mayonnaise on my hash browns than ketchup. Well, that's that's a terrible choice. (laughs) Terrible take. Says this from the mayonnaise guy. The mayonnaise guy is not putting mayonnaise on his hash browns. Hash browns and ketchup go together like peanut butter and jelly. That's why every diner has ketchup bottles. Yeah. Every table, ketchup and jelly. They also have hot sauce. You Some, try yeah, that. they do have hot sauce. Yeah? <laughs> well, anyways, before we lose them, Tommy. Oh, they're long gone. Yeah, They've we, well we left get in, the conversation. Get into our list, and I think you should go first since we've already got the photo up behind us. Yes. What is your number five most hated vehicle? So the vehicle I really dislike is the first generation of the new Beetle built from 1998 through the early 2000s. Now, this car, of course, was the return of the iconic Volkswagen Beetle design, but they didn't stick to the formula. So the old one, air-cooled, rear-engined, rear-wheel drive, the refresh or the remake, front-wheel drive, water-cooled, based on the Golf. But what I really didn't like about them was the build quality was fairly appalling. But let's talk about some of the specs. So what is uh, what is the car this is based off of? So this is based off of the Mark IV Golf. And you said that they kind of went away from the formula of being rear engine, rear wheel drive. But I have to say, if you're driving it in reverse, 
wouldn't it then be <laughs> the same formula, right? Because it's front engine, front wheel drive? Technically, it would. <laughs> Very good point. That's right. Yeah. But my issue with this car is what made the Beetle so magic is it was an affordable people's car that was at the bottom end of the Volkswagen lineup that everybody could afford that was dirt reliable and dirt easy to fix. This new one, they went too far upscale and they went too far into trying to make it cute. So one of the more iconic features on this car was the little flower holder near the steering wheel. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting decision that they made as well, the, uh, the flower holder on that. My, my wife actually really likes these vehicles simply because of that. <laughs> and so I went out and bought her one. And what did she think? And she hated it. Why? Because it smelled like crayons. <laughs> and, and from what I've been told, all of the Volkswagens from this early 2000s, for whatever reason, they use this glue that over time as it deteriorates, just starts to smell like Crayons. That's right. Yeah, and it's it's kind of an off-putting smell, to be honest with you. That's right. Yeah, the interior plastics, they, they literally melt. Yeah, they melt, <laughs> and they get all goopy, and then they smell exactly like crayons. Now, we actually had two of these growing up. My dad bought two of them, gave one of them to my grandma, kept the other one. And all I remember about them is that they looked really cool. One of them was a turbo, so it was really fast. It was a, it the Turbo S? No, it wasn't the Turbo S. It was a oh, normal okay. turbo with a spoiler in the back. Do you remember the spoiler that popped yep. up at like, what, 50, 60 miles an hour? And um, it looked cool, felt fast, and it was always broken. Yeah. And I remember distinctly, too, the radio died on it. And the uh, the, the, the Beatles have a round radio. It's like an oval. Sure. Right? That's, that's the radio, which is pretty unique. Well, I remember my dad went to go get the radio fixed under warranty. And the dealer said, we don't have the oval ones. But it's okay because we have a radio from a Jetta. And my dad's like, great, that'll work. So he goes to pick up the car, and the radio from the Jetta is a perfect rectangle. And what the dealer had done was smash the rectangle radio oh into gosh. the oval-shaped hole. And that was called fixed. That was good. Wow. And then the other thing I remember is my my grandparents had this car. They had this little uh, condo in, in Florida, and they were running away from a hurricane, and they get in to start it up, and they crank the key over, and then the engine starts, and the window falls into the door. <laughs> and they can't put it back up, and they can't put it down. It just went. Poof. So it was just constantly broken, and it didn't live up to the original ethos of the classic Volkswagen. And that's why it's on my top five dislike list. Although, there were some cool ones. Yeah, I mean, if you got that Turbo S, it had the 180 horsepower, 1.8 liter uh, four-cylinder from the GTI that you could also have with a five-speed manual. And pretty fun car overall you know yeah. the turbochargers on even the standard turbo models made pretty good power for back in the day they also had the tdi models the turbo diesels yeah which are still worth a lot of money even today and uh yeah i mean i would actually as much as i dislike this car i would be in the market for a turbo s if it was cheap enough yeah because i love the idea that turbo s is a porsche nameplate that you can get on like a four thousand dollar volkswagen beetle yeah that makes sense well and my question is though do you feel the same way about like the golfs of that era because aren't they essentially the golf platform just with a different body on them um yeah i mean technically it's pretty similar to the golf andre had a golf of this generation fourth generation golf yeah, he had a tdi didn't he he did have a tdi i like the golfs a little more though because okay. they were a unique design that weren't trying to be retro they weren't trying too hard to be something they weren't they were just an honest kind of squared off little car and Andre's CDI was very cool. He bought it new, put 200,000 miles on it, and that thing smoked more than a college kid at Sea <laughs> Boulder. I mean, it was oh, like rolling coal everywhere he went. And then you also have on the list a really cool one called the RSI model. What's that? Yeah, so that came out in 2001 and sold through 2003. And it was limited to only 250 units. And unfortunately in the U.S., I don't think we got those. No. But, you know, they're getting to the point to where some point in the next, well— gosh, what, the next four years, three years, or whatever, we could import these. They decided to put the 3.2-liter VR6 motor in it with 211 horsepower and all-wheel drive. Yeah. And just, I think, the best body kit that's ever been on a Beetle as well with, you know, some really cool-looking wheels, nice side skirts, and a giant rear wing. These are insane. I think these are really cool because it was such a skunk works project to, you know, smash in this all-wheel drive system, big VR6 motor. This is a cool car, 100%. Um, but... For example, a standard front-wheel drive. We had a cool car. It was kind of a fun idea. Baja Bob. We bought this lifted off-road prep new Beetle, but it was front-wheel drive, automatic, non-turbo. Um, oh, it was just very dreary to drive, and it yeah. smelled like crayons. 
It's so weird that they all smell like crayons. I don't get it. All I, right, ho- I hope they've moved away from that glue. They well, have, anyways. although I will say I really, for some reason, love the last new Beetle. The last, like, body style that they I did. agree with you. I think that is a really good-looking beetle, they, honestly. They tried to butch it up a little bit. They went less kind of roly-poly with the design. And yeah. the turbo models um, with the, the manual transmission and uh, some of, like, the retro packages, like they had the 50s edition, the 60s edition, the 70s edition, I actually really like those for some reason. I think they're really cool. The one thing I will say is if you sit in the first new G- the first generation new beetle versus the last generation new beetle it is a really different experience because that first generation feels almost like you know kind of like our minis where you have infinite amounts of headspace yep. because of that design whereas the newer one feels almost like you're driving like a little sporty coupe yes. because of how sloped that roof is but, but the quality was much better yeah, yeah for sure yeah for sure all right brendan so now you've heard my rant on my number 5 disliked car what is yours? Mine, I'm going to lead off with the Mustang II, mm. which came out in 1974 and sold through 1978. And this was back when, you know, the EPA was starting to crunch in on emission standards. Mm-hmm. And this is back when the oil embargo caused, you know, the the fuel prices to skyrocket. And consumers' taste in cars just went away from these big typical big bloaty american cars and so ford decided that to save the mustang they had to go economy and so they they based the mustang off of the ford pinto platform yeah and just gave it a little bit different of a body design and i think although it was much loved at the time I think looking back on it now, it's probably the worst Mustang ever made. And I'm a big Mustang fan. Well, I think most people would agree with you because when this launched, they they didn't even have a V8 option. It was four-cylinder and V6 only. And then eventually they added the V8. And then eventually they had this model, which we're looking at here, which is like the King Cobra. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the Mustangs that came before and even the ones that came after, horsepower was down. Um, the design was frumpy. The quality was poor. Yeah. It is not a much-loved car. Yeah. I mean, that King Cobra version, which was peak Mustang two, came out in 1978, still only made 139 horsepower. Right. And that's like the fastest, coolest version that you could possibly get is still going to be beat by a lot, a lot of other cars that were even on the road back then. And this came from the peak era of the malaise era in the U.S., where... Um, we didn't know how to build powerful engines that were also clean burning. Right. So the solution was to completely, you know, neuter the power, um, reduce the displacement, pull back timing, add these huge restrictive catalytic converters, and then your result was big displacement, low horsepower. Uh, but back in the day, like you said, they were pretty well received. Yeah. Because fuel economy was on the top of people's minds, and they were a lot more efficient than the than the early '70s and late '60s cars. And um, I think the design has always been pretty, pretty horrible. But uh, I would like to actually. Uh, this is one I'd like to do a video series on, and I almost bought one. It was just a little bit too rough. But like, they had a a model called the Mustang. Eco, if I remember right. Oh, no, really? MPG. It was called oh, the that's MPG. Right. The 88 horsepower version? Yes. Yeah. And I think that would be funny because it's a car that not a lot of people know about. And it's a part of history that kind of is getting forgotten this 1980s or late 70s malaise era where manufacturers, you know, were completely neutering their cars just to, to, to get a few MPG out of them. Although the thing that I would say is there were a lot of cars on the road that competed with it, right? Because all the manufacturers realized the same thing, that they're like, hey, small cars are in. We need to all build a small rear-wheel drive economy-based car, but still make it somewhat entertaining and fun to drive. Sure. And so some of the cars that they made that competed with it, I think were all better, such as the Chevy Monza, I think was even better. (laughs) The Toyota Celica, the first-generation Toyota Celica that looked like a little shrunken-down Mustang, really. (laughs) Uh, And the Datsun 240Z or the Mazda RX-3. I would rather have any of those than the Mustang Well, this is the era where the Japanese really took over. Yeah. Because the Americans were just doing poor engineering, poor build quality during the 70s period, for the most part. Um, granted, there's a lot of exceptions, but the Japanese really took a stronghold because they offered this similar performance at a lower price and much better build quality. Yeah, I can totally see why. But the thing that's interesting to me is even though there were all those options out there, Motor Trend still decided to give it 1974's Car of the Year. Yeah. That's how much loved it was. And I mean, they sold a ton of these things. They did. I just... I... But when's the last time you saw one? 
Yeah, there's just not many out there <laughs> There's anymore. not a lot left, right? I don't, I don't know if they were just all disintegrated and fell apart or uh, or what. I don't know. So next up on the list is um, actually a car I dislike even more than the Mustang too. Yeah. It's just appalling to me. The Chevy HHR. Now, okay. this is once again one of those retro cars done poorly. And I don't want to say I hate all retro cars because there's retro cars that are done really well. Like, I think minis, for the, especially the early minis, yeah. super fun, relatively true to form, right? Fun to drive. For sure. Um, really fun to drive. And then, like, the new Bronco looks great. Really great performer off-road. And then you have retro cars like this, which are retro for the sake of being retro, but don't offer any tangible improvements over a standard passenger vehicle. And the HHR was built from 2006 to 2011. And you have on our notes here, it stood for Heritage High Roof. Yeah. Is that's, that true? Uh, well, according to Wikipedia, that's what they called it at least. It stood for Heritage High Roof. And this is back when the Chrysler PT Cruiser came out and was a huge sales success. And Chevy just was caught flat-footed, right? I actually was working at a Chevy dealership when this came out in 2006. Um, and I, re I remember going into the meetings that Chevy was so excited to bring this to us because <laughs> they were pointing to the sales success of the PT Cruiser. And, I mean, the PT Cruiser had been out for a few years already. Right. And I just kind of went, that ship has sailed, guys. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You're a little late to the game here. Chrysler already gobbled up all of those retro small little hatchback sales. And sure enough, when the, the HHR came out, it just – it did not sell that well compared to what the PT Cruiser did. Did you have people buying them? Well, I, it was very short-lived that I worked at that dealership. So they, I was part of like there when they were excited and they were talking about it. But by the time it was actually on the sales floor and selling, I was already gone. Yeah. I, they were just like this car was straight to rental car. Because as yeah. you said, the popularity of the, the retro craze had died down. By the time this launched in 06, this hit right in time for the financial crisis as well. And this represents, I think, the worst build quality of GM in a lot of decades. For sure. Um, I don't think it's particularly good looking, even though it was designed by the same guy, Brian um, Nesbitt, that did the PT Cruiser. And it's just horrible. It drove terribly. It was relatively reliable. I, I do... People that own them say they do last a long time, but um, the, the interiors were horrible, and it looked like a little van. It looked like a little SUV in some ways, but only front-wheel drive. Well, yeah, they actually based it off of the 1947 Chevy Suburban, uh, or at least that's what they were saying at the time, um, and it shared the platform with the Chevy Cobalt. So the, <laughs> the Cobalts aren't known for being super reliable. I think the Cavaliers that they replaced were actually are known to be more reliable, mm. But they're certainly not the worst car GM's ever built, but just not the best. Yeah, and the the image that we just pulled up, if you're on YouTube here, is they did offer a panel van version of it, which I think is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that one's cooler. I will give you that. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. It, is, it is cooler, right? Because it is it does make it look more retro with the panel van configuration. For sure. Yeah, I agree. And then there was even a quick one, right? Yeah, they offered the SS, which is basically the Cobalt SS underneath. So it had the same two-liter, four-cylinder turbo from that Cobalt SS with 260 horsepower and a five-speed manual, which I, I think that'd be pretty cool to have, personally. Sure, yeah. I mean, no. Because you still have to drive an HHR. Yeah, so you'd rather drive the Cobalt SS than the HHR SS? I'd, I'd rather drive neither of them, but yeah, I suppose <laughs> if I had to. Because at least the Cobalt is like a little bit lower, right? A little bit more sporty profile. Yeah. This is just horrible. <laughs> Look at that design. I don't mind it, actually. What happened? Yeah, I, I mean, I will say, going to the auctions, every single one of these that I've looked at, I haven't seen an SS, but every single one of the HHRs I've looked at are just in the worst possible shape. Really? People just use and abuse and throw away those cars. Yeah. Now, do you know what a design trick is that makes a car look immediately retro? What's that? This is pretty cool. So there's a few cars that have it, like the HHR, like even the new Grand Wagoneer and Wagoneer, is they body match the B and the C pillars. Ah. So there's not a black strip. So if you look at 99.9% .9 of new cars, uh, what most manufacturers do is they put either black paint or a black sticker in the gap between the windows from the okay. side, right? And that gives it like... When you're looking at it, it gives it like one giant window look. It looks like it's one hole, right? Yeah. But back in the old days, before they did that, obviously they would paint the pillars. And that is one trick that designers use to make a car look immediately more retro is leaving the pillars unpainted. Interesting. Like on a, like on a Wrangler, for example. They're unpainted too. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
like if you look closely, a lot of new vehicles will just have like a black sticker that'll go over the paint, and yeah. it doesn't look bad. And from a distance, it looks like you would never notice it. Right. But that's something that companies do. Interesting. Yeah, I've never pillars, noticed that before. Yep, they're always painted black, except on the new Grand Wagoneer, which is why it looks like an airport van, in my opinion. Yeah, it, the Grand Wagoneer looks long. like a beluga whale to me. But if you paint the pillars black, I bet it would look better. Or give it some uh, wood paneling on the no, sides. No, that's not the solution. <laughs> What is up with you and wood paneling everything? <laughs> it needs to be on that car, for sure. It's just too slab-sided. You think so? It needs something to break it up. You you would... Would you put wood paneling in your house? Uh, no. Probably there you not. go. But you would yeah. put it on your cars, huh? Sure. Yeah. I, well, the right car. I wouldn't just put it on it. Like, I'm not going to take my Honda Del Sol and put so you're saying wood paneling on it. You just put it on cars you don't like. No, just, just <laughs> so, cars that have a big, flat side. You're like, you know, like a Ford Flex or like, you know, the new Grand Wagoneer, I think would look much better with wood paneling on the side. But do you like the look of the Ford Flex? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I do, actually. I'm, I know. I'm one of the weird would ones. Would you prefer a Mustang, too, if it had wood paneling on the side of it? Ugh. I don't think there's anything that could get me into a Mustang, too. I think we've come up with a solution here. Car <laughs> manufacturers, if you want to appeal to Brendan, if you have an ugly car, put some wood paneling on the side of that. There you go. Yeah. And, and call that done. Yeah. And he'll it. like it a little bit more. Yeah. And it's cheap for you guys to do. It's just a big vinyl sticker, right? Right. You can just slap it on the side and call or it Or real day. wood. <laughs> I think that would be cool if like companies would like do like bamboo, you know, like oh, some yeah. progressive materials. Well, you know? just like the Lincoln Blackwood, they they did. That's right. They did wood on the back of the the bed of the truck, but it was all fake. Unfortunately. Well, yeah, I would like some real like yeah. like bamboo on the side. There's some things I think about where I'm like, you know, what what would be a cool interior material that hasn't been done? I was thinking like marble or granite. Oh, jeez. You know. Like that a would sure make a car heavy. Well, yeah, you'd have to be careful with the. And weight. imagine with crashing too, like. If you got it on the dash, that coming flying at <laughs> yeah. you in the crash. It's got to be well secured. <laughs> but think about like all cars now have pretty much the same interior. You got leather, cloth, and then on the dash you have plastic, black plastic, shiny black plastic, or wood plastic. Yeah. But why not mix it up? You know, I love it. For example, um, like Mazda put cork on the inside of the MX-30. Really? Not a That's good car. Cool. Per se, because it only goes 100 miles on a charge, but cork is cool. Well, and didn't the BMW i3 have some That's uh, right. recycled materials on the inside, too? Yeah, and it had light woods. Bamboo has been used a few times. And like Lexus used to do this. Every time I'd see bamboo, I'd be like, wow, that looks so good. Yeah. Why are we using the same plastic walnut? You, what's? Here's a question for you. What's yeah. your favorite in car interior of all time? Favorite car interior in of all time. Yeah. Do you have one? I do. Okay, you go first. got to think of mine. Mine would be the Spiker C8. Spiker C8? Yes. With all, like, the aluminum buttons and things? Yes, how everything was, like, toggle switches, and it had, like, that cool shifter that had the the actual bar to the shift, like, going to the shifter on the exterior of it, visible, mm. and all in polished aluminum. And then the, the steering wheel was, like, a four-spoke steering wheel that looked like a airplane propeller. On it as well. It's I a, love that. It's thing. a little too steampunk for me. Is it? It's a little too steampunk. <laughs> oh man, I think I think it's one of the most beautifully designed interiors of all time. Of all time. Yeah. Wow, that's a bold move. <laughs> I think actually, um, that's the chair. I'm not farting. I promise. <laughs> Listen to this chair. We got to get some new chairs. It's just. Oh. Now everyone's going to think it was me farting. I promise it was a chair. My favorite interior, I'm not sure of all time, but that I've sat in recently is the Lexus LC, the, the coupe. Oh, okay. Um, that has a really nice interior. And I don't the know way I've seen that one. it's shaped toward the driver, it's just like the design is very elegant. Lexus, I think, does some really nice interior designs. Yeah? Yeah, especially within like the last 10 years. How about your worst interior? Oh, gosh. There's, I mean, there's just so many. <laughs> maybe maybe a Mustang too. It's pretty terrible interior. <laughs> I think the HHR is up there for me. Yeah, I would say the HHR is up there. Yeah, for oh, sure. I also like those LR4 interiors. They yeah. they did a good there use of go. wood, kind of vertical and a little slab sided. But I like once again they used bold wood. Okay. Yeah. Anything? Any kind of material you'd like to see in the car? Yeah, I mean, more wood would be nice. More maybe, wood? Yeah, maybe some um, brushed aluminum would be nice to see in there as well. That's not very creative. Why not? What about a material like like tile? Again, it, 
You have you to know? think about in a crash, what do you want flying at your face? <laughs> and do you want some cracked ceramic flying at your face? Well, put or... it on the floor. You know, we got to come up with some new and creative interior ideas. We're stuck in a rut. I love when they put like woven fabric on the dash. I think that's cool. That could be nice. Body color. That's a big thing. I love when they tie it. Put some like chain mail. <laughs> Chain mail. <laughs> Your one solution. You're like, yeah. oh, I don't want tile flying at my face. How about some chain mail? No, Brendan. <laughs> I love when they tie. The new Beetle did this, but when they tie the exterior color to the inside. Yeah. I always think that's really cool. That's another good way to make a car look retro. Uh -huh. That's for sure. Good point. Good yeah. point. Chain mail. It's a terrible suggestion. <laughs> well, should we move on to number four? For yes. Me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're gonna hate me for this one. I already. Know, I can feel the the hate already emanating coming from you, but I really don't like the Land Rover Discovery, specifically the Discovery 2. Okay. Uh, the Discovery 2 came out in 1998, sold through 2004, and it was the last Range Rover product, or I'm sorry, the last Land Rover product to use the basically an evolution of the original 1970 Range Rover underpinnings. And the thing is, is this thing gets so much off-road credibility, but did you know when they first came out with it, they didn't even offer a center locking differential in this? Mm -hmm. I did. I'm listening patiently. <laughs> you keep going on your rant on why you don't like them. I mean, he's had a myriad of Rover V8s, yes. which are not known for their reliability, starting off 182 horsepower up to 217. Then you got the air suspension in the rear, which is you know, not known to be reliable. And these things, they just, we, we, we have a mechanic friend up in Longmont yep. that bought one of these. And what is he doing? He's pulling out that Rover V8 that is known to be not very good. Yes. And putting in a GM 5.3 liter V8, because that is the only way to make that car reliable to go down the road. So what specifically do you not like about it? I just... I don't think I could ever own one because I wouldn't trust it to be able to get me to work. Okay, interesting. So let's talk about the reliability issues because, yes, the Rover V8 is problematic. So yeah. uh, they have head gaskets, which have a 100% failure rate. Just wait enough time and your head gaskets will fail. And then uh, what can happen is it's an aluminum block with um, steel cylinder liners, and then the steel cylinder liners can actually slip out of their housings, and then you'll you'll, you'll destroy the engine. But if you if you get to the head gaskets in time, it's more of like a preventative maintenance. They also have drive shafts, which will explode and take out the transmission. Common issue. They also have like just a myriad of other issues. Like a lot of them, the windshield doesn't fit in the hole because they cut the hole wrong, <laughs> so it'll just leak from the factory. You're kind of helping my case, Tommy. But I still love them. Yeah. I think they're fantastic because this was really, in my opinion, the last luxury off-roader that still had solid axles. So they got rid of, well, the story is a little more complicated. It's based on the Discovery 1, which had a sure. center diff lock. And then in 90, what is it, 8, 99? Yeah, 98, yeah. they got rid of the option to engage the center diff lock, but they left it in the transfer case. Right. So there's this mod you can do where you can actually put a like a a, a, a way to engage it, which is silly because they went to traction control. Sure. And then the center diff lock came back in 04 because people complained. Yeah. But if you put a center diff lock in them, it is, in my opinion, one of the most comfortable ways to go off-road and still feel like you're cocooned in leather and heated seats and all of these nice materials. So I mean, it yeah, feels special. You'll have a very special feeling interior while you're broken down on the side of the road. Yeah, but I think <laughs> by now, I think that so many of them are hiding so high mileage where so many of the common failure issues have been addressed. So we owned an 04 for like a year. And um, I've never driven a vehicle harder off-road and just have it keep coming back for more. And yes, there's always that little thing in the back of your mind like it might not make this trip. But it always did make that trip. And um, I just love, I mean, I think they're, they're brilliant. I mean, look at the design. Look how cool that looks. It's a combination of like square, boxy, tough, and like let's go to the mall afterwards and have a coffee. I mean, I don't mind the design of them. You know, I, I don't know that it's my favorite looking SUV of all time, but it's not a bad looking SUV for sure. I will give you that. And especially when you start to build it up and lift it and put some off-road goodies on it, they do look quite striking. But again, I don't know that I could, unless you take out that engine, put in a Chevy V8 and replace the air ride in the back and put the so the 
the thing in there so you can use the center locking differential. Like I just don't know that I would trust it off-road because when you're off-roading, you're tending to go to some remote areas. And if a vehicle breaks down on you in a remote area, yeah. it's not like you can just call up your ro- local Tony's tow truck service and come and get you. You got to get a specialized service to come and rescue you in that situation. And bring a friend. Yeah. That's all I got to tell you. Yeah, you yeah. definitely want to bring a friend. These also have this funny issue um, where they have uh, problems with the traction control. So the reason they got rid of the center diff lock is because they added traction control. Uh, but then those those fail. And it's usually like wheel speed sensors. But there's traction control, hill descent control, and ABS are all a linked system. So when you have a failure, it lights up three lights. Traction control... Uh, ABS and hill descent control failure. And those are called the three amigos because they always <laughs> hang out together. Okay. Yeah. And there's Jeez. a sticker you can get that put on the rear window that says, three amigos never travel alone. <laughs> There you go. I guess when you... I'm not helping a, my point. Yeah, but. I guess I guess when you're a Discovery owner, you just got to make light of your terrible situation that you own a Discovery. All right. <laughs> so my number three vehicle, which I just really don't like. Um, actually, before we get to that, we should probably take an ad break. Okay. And ad per usual, we do not know what ad is going to be displayed here. Yeah, we apologize. If it's Heinz ketchup or if it's... Uh, if it's for know. feminine products, we have yeah, we no have, control have no over idea. the ad. Okay, we'll cut to that now. And we're back from the ad. Whatever it may have been, we hope you enjoyed. Yeah, and we and hope you buy the product. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you don't want well, to. Yeah. We don't know what the product uh, is. Maybe yeah. don't buy the product. Well, maybe don't endorse it. We don't know what it is. But, <laughs> but if you're still watching, thanks. And we're going to get right on to Tommy's number three most hated vehicle. Yeah, it's the Nissan Skyline R34. It's the 10th generation of the Skyline. It's one we didn't get here in the States. Uh, they had the GTR version. Could be adding Cooper sedan. I just, you want to finish the information? <laughs> you're you're selling this thing short. This is this is going to get you some hate because a lot of people truly love these, uh, and, the re- and that's the reason why like Skylines now, the or the GTR version of the Skylines are a six-figure car over in Japan, and even though they're not legal to import yet, they're still selling for that much because they know that it's going to get that much here in the U.S. Okay, pause. When it is able to come in. That's why I don't like them. Yeah. Because I just think they're overhyped. Yeah. $250,000, $275,000 for a 25-year-old Nissan Skyline is crazy. I mean, this is a car that blew up in popularity because of the movie, right? Because sure. of Fast and Furious. And whenever a car gets that popular due to a piece of popular media, I just, like, it. I, I lose mm. interest in it. Because I'm like, this price is artificially boosted by, you know, a piece of film. Now, granted, it was a cool car, and it does have some good things. Like, you want to talk about some of the specs? Yeah, so, I mean... The, the GTR does kind of overshadow the rest of the Skyline lineup, right? It wasn't just the GTR, although that is the most famous version of it and most sought after. They still were a line of really interesting rear-wheel drive coupes and sedans that Nissan made that are actually known to be pretty reliable and could have be had with a myriad of engines. So even just the base one is a two-liter inline six, so a really small six-cylinder with 155 horsepower to the rear wheels. Doesn't sound super exciting, but keep in mind, you could have that with a six-speed manual. So you could have like a rear-wheel drive sedan, inline six-cylinder, or you could even hop it up by getting, you know, like the the 2.5-liter engine, which had 197 horsepower, or even, you know, like the turbo 2.5, which had 280 horsepower, and you could even get them with all-wheel drive. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, don't, it's don't cool. let the GTR sour you on the rest of the Skyline lineup. Because the rest of the Skyline lineup, I think, is a pretty good value. Because you can generally get them in Japan in, like, the high to mid-teens. So if, for you, those of you watching on YouTube, you'll see the car behind us. For those of you not watching, Brendan has chosen a picture of, a, of like, a four-door Skyline yeah. in purple. <laughs> it's an interesting color. It's just, like, look at that. There's no design. It's just three boxes. Yeah. I just, I Brendan, the Skyline, it just doesn't do it for me because, like, the issue is is the GTR has gotten so valuable where it's driving up the prices of even the, 
the the standard cars. I, it's just overhyped in my opinion, and I get frustrated too for the folks in Japan that want them because I know there's kind of some animosity there from some of the people I've talked to in Japan because they want these cars, but they've all been purchased now and are all sitting in warehouses by really rich Americans waiting for them to be legal to import. And I'm just like, come on. Yeah. Let these folks enjoy their cars for less than a quarter million dollars. Right. I mean, well, I did, agree with you this? on the, the prices, at least, for the GTRs. It's the amount of money that you would spend on it. Um, there's a lot of other cars I would rather have, for sure. For example, like if you go... A little lower in the Nissan lineup in the early 90s, you had like the 300ZX, right? Yeah. Where it's super hike is four-wheel steering and twin-turbo V6 technology and all this advanced stuff. And you can pick up one of those in nice shape for 25 grand, which is a tenth of the price of a GTR. Stock, it's got, I don't know, 25 less horsepower or something. Now, granted, the GTR, people will, will put a 1,000 horsepower in them and then that's kind of their, their whole thing. But um, sure, yeah, I, uh, I just don't get it. But... For the same price as that, you could get a four-door rear-wheel drive, you know, 197 horsepower in line six-cylinder sedan. It's kind of like, think about it this way, it's kind of like uh, Nissan doing an impression of like a BMW. Well, then right? just buy a BMW. Because the Nissan's more reliable. <laughs> so you're saying I could either have a twin-turbo V6 coupe or a naturally aspirated four-door sedan. Yeah. Not a hard decision for me, Brendan. Well, you could have it in a coupe as well. You could have the naturally aspirated version in a coupe. So I could have a slow well. car that looks like a box or a fast car that looks like a fighter jet. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Those are my two options right now for yeah. the same price. I, I, I think we're just not going to agree on we're this We're not going to agree on this one. So I think we should move on to uh, my number three, which is quite possibly a vehicle we also may not agree on. But we'll see. I, I'm curious to know what your opinion on this a vehicle that I just don't understand, the Jeep Commander. Uh, so this is a SUV that Jeep came out with in 2006, sold through 2010, and it was a three-row SUV. Um, the styling on it, I think, is actually not bad. It yeah. kind of looks like a bloated original Cherokee, Yeah. Um, which I kind of dig, to be honest with you. However... This was based on the Grand Cherokee from 2006, which is, I think, kind of the low point in the Grand Cherokee time period Ooh. as far as reliability You're goes. You're going to get some comments on that one, yeah. my dude. <laughs> um, and they only made it two inches longer but added a third row. So they made the third row only for people that didn't have legs. Yeah, the third row wasn't great. That That's true. Um, now, there was an optional command view sunroof package, which gave you several sunroofs. The base engine was a 3.6 V6 with QuadraTrack 1, which is a full-time all-wheel drive system. There was also a 4.7 liter V8 with QuadraTrack 2, which gave you the low range. And then there was even the 5.7 Hemi. Yeah, but those 5.7 Hemis are also not known for their reliability. Well, and it only bumped it up to 330 horsepower. So you're yeah. talking a, a big 5.7 liter Hemi with 330 horsepower, which, you know, it, it sounds like a decent amount, but this is a pretty big SUV. So it just really wasn't that fast. Um, and I think the most scathing thing that, that has ever been said about this vehicle was when it was discontinued, then-CEO Sergio Marchioni, rest in peace, said that the vehicle was unfit for human <laughs> consumption. He said, we sold some, but I don't know why people bought them. Yeah. I mean, this car was designed under um, the Daimler days of Jeep, right? Which was a low point for their quality and a, a low point for their reliability. But even still, it is one of the few three-row SUVs out there where you can really take it off-road, especially if you've got the Quadra Drive 2, which added skid plates and limited slip diffs. They are very off-road capable. And if you have a big family and a relatively small budget, apart from like a Range Rover, right, maybe, maybe like a Expedition, but you really have to modify those for the capability. Jeep offers a lot of off-road value in the Commander with three rows. So I think that's why I think they're pretty cool. And I also just think that it's a really good look. Like they look pretty cool, very squared off and boxy. They have eight air vents for the front passengers. Oh, geez, that's a lot like of air a vents. A lot of AC will be blowing yeah. at you in every direction. Although here's the thing. Yeah. It's, it, looking back at it and on paper, sounds like a decent vehicle, but for a lot less money, you could get a GMT 400 or a GMT 800 Suburban or Yukon yeah. XL. And it would be far more reliable. Yes. 
and more comfortable, yes. better interior build quality, and sure. I think almost as good off-road, especially if you did took that extra money that you didn't have to spend buying the Jeep Commander and put it into some off-road goodies. That's true. Yeah, I, I agree. But this one has seven slots on the front of it. And that'll sell a lot of vehicles, Brendan. Um, now, the number three vehicle on my list. You mean the number two? The number two vehicle on my list. Thank you, Brendan. Um, I'm really struggling with these papers here. This is just, I've completely lost it. I know what it is, but there it is. The Dodge Intrepid. Or as I like to call it, the Dodge Insepid. Insepid? It's just, it's horrible. Well, so when we were making this list, yeah. right? I oh, look I, I was, at that thing! I was going based off. I was thinking we would go based off of vehicles that are fairly popular, uh, cult status kind of vehicles. The Dodge Intrepid is just—it's um, oh, it's horrible. Is the word you're looking like, for? No one's given a thought about it since 2004. <laughs> but Tommy still has it in his head of like every time he sees one, God, I hate that car so much. And it's rare that I see them because they have all been taken off the road and killed with fire, I think. But <laughs> if I were to see one, I'd think, oh, it's even worse than it was back in 1993 when it came out. Now, when it came out, it had some cool things going for it. Cab forward era of Chrysler design, yeah. um, right? Kind of similar on like, it, well, it's based on the LH platform, which is like the Chrysler 300, the Concorde, the Eagle Vision. Um, but the second gen especially was, I think, the ultra low point for Chrysler build quality, Chrysler value, Chrysler design. Um, it's just horrible. Look at that. Yeah. Do you want that? Is I there any part of you that wants that? I wouldn't mind. Actually, I, I have, I did own a Chrysler 300M. Yeah, did you like it? It was okay. It wasn't as comfortable as I thought it was going well, to be. Well, that's why I would want one, is for the comfort of yeah. the 300M. That's the one thing I will say, is I sat in it and thinking it was going to be this comfy boat to drive down the road, and it just wasn't. Um, and then the it R wasn't that good. The RT yeah. trim, which we're looking at here. That I wouldn't mind trying out. Big V8? No, that's a 242 horsepower, 3.5 liter V6. Oh, so the same V6, if you will, <laughs> as every other in yep, Insepid. Pretty, pretty much, oh. yeah. Yeah, they're not great, but I think the majority of people will agree with you that they're just okay. And the transmissions are made out of actual tinfoil. Yeah. They just die. They just, ugh. Yeah, they're not Terrible. great cars. Yeah, not, I, I will agree with you on that no, one. No, that, that, that is near the bottom of my list. Now, number two on your list, Brendan, this is a terrible choice. <laughs> Granted, I think you think the R34 is a terrible choice. This is my example of a terrible choice. Even, even worse than the Discovery? This is a cool car. The Eurovan. The Eurovan. By yeah. Volkswagen. Yeah, or, or otherwise known as the Transporter in Europe, uh, which actually in Europe came out in 1990. And you know that they, they brought it to the U.S. in 93. A lot of people don't know this. But it sold so poorly that they stopped selling it the next year. So it was literally <laughs> here for one year, and Volkswagen went, oh, that was a mistake, and just immediately pulled it out. And they didn't bring it back again until 1999. Yes. Right. Th that's... Yeah, I mean, the Eurovan, once again, kind of um, it was an evolution of the, the original Volkswagen van, but they were primarily front-wheel drive, right, with uh, water-cooled engines. And sure, you know, it's kind of the same issue as the new Beetle, but they offered a lot of space and a lot of cool features. And you could get a camper version, and there was even a Winnebago version, which I think is even cooler. And they're, like, worth a ton of money right now. Well, the thing is, you said that this was an evolution, and I would say it really was a revolution as far as Volkswagen vans go because this was the first front-engine liquid-cooled van that Volkswagen had sold ever or that they had built because prior to that they had the classic van you know the i forget what the type, like the two. type two and then yeah, the, the type, type three two and then yeah. the type three and then yeah. they had the what the westphalia sure which all fantastic vans rear wheel drive rear engined cool interesting and this one they decided let's take that cool interesting design throw it out the window and make a front wheel drive front engine mini-ish van, but a little bit larger than your typical minivan, and we'll call it a Eurovan. But here's the thing, is the rear engine vans are very cool, 
but even the most powerful of them is going to be woefully underpowered, especially when you sure. load it up with people and stuff. You know, the van, Eurovan, front-wheel drive, liquid-cooled, VR6, whatever, not as exciting, but way more drivable. So you could actually go highway speeds and drive up mountains and, you know, have, have your whole family in there. Now, I think that the look is not nearly as interesting. It's definitely more boring. But um, it was like a cool idea, right? It was like not your typical minivan. You could outfit it with all sorts of fun seat configurations and you could get the camper versions. And it was interesting. Uh, but it didn't last long here in the U.S., right? It was discontinued in 03. Yeah. Um, it just... I you don't really think don't like was, the Eurovan. I don't van. think it was as interesting as you're saying because Japan had been making vans like this for since the 80s. But not and as they a looked, camper yes, in the they, States. Yeah, you could get like a Mitsubishi Delica kind of camper. But not in the you? States. Not that's here. That's true. Not in the States. Yeah. It, it was kind of the first one to be offered in the States. And that's why it's cool that. because they yeah. did make vans like that in, in the UK and in Japan. But if you wanted like a small little camper or if you wanted, um, you know, the Winnebago version, right, it was a unique drivable experience that wasn't some massive motorhome. I just think it's it's a bloated minivan is really all Wow, bloated minivan. It's a bloated – it's not big enough to be a full-size van. You go, you can go get yourself a, a Chevy or a Ford van and turn that into a camper, and it would be way better than owning this Eurovan. And if you just want a van, a front-wheel drive minivan to drive around, just go get like a Dodge Grand Caravan or, oh, uh, or whatever. To just so boring, your, Brendan. You and your eight kids around. The Eurovan, <laughs> you're, you're take, they're not reliable. They're, like It's got the VR6 engines in them typically, which are not super reliable. And they're just they're not as cool as the old Volkswagen vans. Mm, but they're way more drivable, and they're worth a ton. Have you seen the prices on these now? I, I haven't, but uh, if you're paying over... I don't know, five grand, I think you're nuts for one of these What do you things. think like a cheap one would be here in the States, if you had to guess? If I had to guess? Yeah. I don't know, maybe six, seven? 25? That's ludicrous. $25,000, yeah. That's, you think 25 grand is too much for a rear-wheel drive sporty Skyline sedan, but that's totally <laughs> reasonable for a front-wheel drive large minivan. I'm not sure it's reasonable, but <laughs> I like these. Yeah, I do think they're cool because they're they're European. They're funky, right? They're going to drive better than the town and country. Uh, they're way more interesting to look at. The town and country looks like a, <laughs> it's just not good. I think that the Eurovan does offer, and if they sold this here today in a camper conform, they could sell it for whatever price they wanted to. Volkswagen did sell a van recently. Wasn't, wasn't it called like the Ruton oh, or something? Oh, don't talk about the Ruton. And, and it did no, terribly. The Ruton was horrible because it was a rebadged town and country. But I mean like a genuine camper van because people are spending $175,000, $225,000 on an outfitted Sprinter, right? Sure. And a lot of times the Sprinters are made out of, depending on the outfit, really poor quality materials. If Volkswagen sold an actual, they, they have a model in Europe called the California van here in the States, they could charge ninety grand and people would line up to buy it. That California van they sell in Europe, is it rear-wheel drive or front-wheel drive? Uh, I think it's front-wheel drive. Oh, yeah, really? uh, or four motion all wheel drive. Oh, yeah, okay. I think it's all wheel drive. Okay. You really don't like the Eurovan. Well, the Sprinter is a rear wheel drive van. Yeah, but the Sprinter it's a full size van Sprinter's too. Sprinter is huge. You can't yeah. park a Sprinter. That's true. And people want one that you can drive to work and then also take the kids out, like like an original Westie, um, or the ID Buzz. That's you like the ID Buzz? Yes. Is that front or rear wheel drive? <laughs> what is up with you and how your van is powered? Well, here's the thing: if you're driving a front wheel drive van. <laughs> It's just a minivan. It's fine. Like, if that's what you have, that's fine. What? <laughs> but just know it's you're just getting a minivan to haul your kids around because you got a ton of them. Or why does, you why need does... a ton of space for all your tools because you're a contractor or whatever. But if you want a full-size van, then get a full-size van, like a Sprinter or like the, the Chevy vans or like the Ford E-150s or whatever they call them. Um, this is just a half measure that falls flat, in but my opinion. it's better because, like, a Sprinter is huge. Like, we have one outside. Yeah. And, it, I mean, you couldn't park. You can't park it in a parking garage. Um, you can't park it under low trees. Um, it, it barely fits in, like, a normal spot. This is, like, the size of, I don't know, a Touareg or, or a Tiguan. So you can drive it around, but it still got a ton of space in the back. <laughs> Okay. But well, it's interesting that you're stuck in the, the drive position. So if a Sienna became rear-wheel drive, would that make it a full-size van? Um. Not necessarily make it a full-size van, but it would make it more interesting. Why? Well, think about like the Toyota Previa. I think that's a cool van. It's a <laughs> mid-engine rear-wheel drive van, and it's cool. Sure, it looks like an egg on wheels, but it's cool. Yeah, but it's a van. What are you? How are you driving your van? 
It's not going to handle very well. It's, it's a van. It's more exciting. It's for the van. The most exciting <laughs> thing about the van is that it will hold eight people. That's what yeah. makes the van cool. The Nissan NV4500 was a real drive, and that yeah. thing was horrible. Well, I, I, got, I never got to drive yeah. one of those, so but I can't for speak to the that. The ID Buzz yeah. is real-wheel drive. Well, but it'll it is, be cool, It then. is small. It's yeah. a small van. It's, I'm excited about the ID Buzz, or, uh, then. A small rear-wheel drive electric van? That could be but fun. Then, why? It's a van. It's not a sports car. <laughs> How are you driving your vans? <laughs> like remind you stole me, it. <laughs> remind me to never get in a van with you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in a Miata, right? Like, sure, rear-wheel drive's a lot better. But in a people mover? Who cares? You just put along the streets. I don't know. It just it, it helps when you're hauling stuff too. Think about it that way. So if you wanted to tow something, you can't really tow much with a Eurovan, but you could tow with a full size van. Well, that's because it's just the power. I mean, a, a ProMaster's rated for the same. So you'd as want like a, a, a V8 front wheel drive van and tow with it? <laughs> well, you can't buy a V8 front wheel drive van. <laughs> I know. I mean, I like it's. It, honestly, it probably doesn't matter that much. Like a sprint, uh, uh, the ProMaster's front wheel drive, um, okay. and that'll tow. 5,000 pounds or something, which is not far off like what a sprinter will tow. In the, I well, just, maybe I, I'm crazy. Interesting but I just, in I the, just, the, the position of the me. drive wheels. Yeah. Interesting. What about all-wheel drive vans? It depends on the bias. The bias? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> like a Halideck <laughs> system. Torque is bias? Yeah, Halideck system is like a front-biased car, front or a front-drive-biased car, whereas, you know, like uh, Audi's old-school Quattro system is a full-time all-wheel drive system. Are we looking right? at the same vehicle? Yeah. Like, this is not a two-door convertible. <laughs> it's a box. Who cares what the torque bias is, Brendan? <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. Well, maybe you guys can let us know in the comment section below what you think. Oh, or, my if goodness. I, am I crazy or or am I onto something here? Well, before we go on to the next vehicle, we're going to take a quick break. Let you all take a breather. Let you maybe all, we need to cool down a little bit. <laughs> let you all come up with your thoughts about your opinions on biases of vans. And we'll come back in just a sec. And we're back with the cars we hate. Thank you for listening to that ad, whatever it may have been. Maybe it was for the Nissan D21 hardbody. Oh, that would be awesome if Nissan is... Uh, advertising a truck that they no longer make, but uh, you should all go out and buy. Maybe we should make an ad for the Nissan D21 Hardbody. <laughs> I think we do every week. Yeah, <laughs> the D21 Hardbody, of course, a truck you will not see on a disliked list. That is at the top of our most favorite vehicles of all time. Yep, y'all need to go buy one. Yep, 1990s Nissan trucks. But going to the other end, my least favorite car, arguably of all time, because this is a company that should have known better that. That was should not have been building this thing as late as they did, the Fiat 500L. But not just the 500. You specifically hate the 500L. I like the 500, the small city car. Great yeah. car. I think it's great. Well, okay, not super reliable, but you know, a cool little runabout. And the Abarth version was a ton of fun. The L was a larger version of the car that tried to give the impression of being small and quirky in a fun city car. And it was a dreary, bloated couch that did not a single thing well, and I hate it, hate it, hate it. Well, so this came out in 2014, was sold all the way through 2020, and actually um, in Europe, I think they sold it for another year or two as well. But here in the States, it ended production in 2020. And did you know that in Europe, a lengthened three-row, seven-seat variant called the 500L Living was available. Would you like it then, since you like no. front-wheel drive vans? <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse. No, absolutely not. Now, you have on here, it's the same platform as a Renegade. That is the X. So the X is a okay. four-door 500, but it's the, like the little crossover. This thing is some weird bloated blob thing, the L, which was front-wheel drive only. They had one called the Trekking, which was an off-road trim with, like, cladding and cool wheels. Front-wheel drive only. That's the worst of the worst. That, that one I don't understand. Like, why not? Like, why, why do that when you have the Fiat 500X? It's just, I don't know. Yeah. And it was horrible. And it, like, it drives badly. It's poorly made. Uh, it does have an optional Beats audio system, which claims a total power output <laughs> of 520 watts. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. And it, this thing, too, you're, you're, you're not talking about the engine that hides underneath. So you like that Fiat 500 Abarth. I do. This has the same engine as that Fiat 500 Abarth, the 1.4-liter turbo four-cylinder with 160 horsepower, and you can get it in a six-speed manual 
or a six-speed automatic in the Fiat 500L. So you could have an Abarth four-door. Great engine in a terrible car. Yeah. It's like, um, do you like the, the Volkswagen like Corrados or like the yeah. Scirocco's? Cool yeah. cars, right? Same engine as your Eurovan. <laughs> Just because you put that engine in a Eurovan doesn't make it cool. Yeah. That's the same thing with the 500L. And it was hamstrung by hundreds of pounds of additional weight. And for some reason, the single worst manual transmission ever put into a car. So the Abarth had this kind of crispy little five-speed. This thing was like stirring porridge with a shovel. It was horrible. It just felt terrible. And of course, they sold a lot of 500Ls because Americans, they, they don't want the little one. They want big and four doors. Uh, but when it launched in the US, they did an ad titled The Italian Invasion. I do remember this, where it showed Paul Revere noticing an Italian uh, rather than a, a British invasion. Yeah, I think that's interesting. It, was, so it must have came, been successful they, since they sold a lot of they them. They drove right? out of the ocean. Yeah. Do you, you like this thing? Well, it's it's interesting. I don't. Here's the thing. I want to own a Fiat, and every time there's one at the auction, I make a, a point to get in and at least start it up. Hmm. But every single time I have done that, they and granted, the stuff we're getting at the auction is not usually the highest not, quality. not the highest quality stuff. You know, a lot of it has deferred maintenance and whatnot. But every single time I go to start one, they all have either engine or transmission problems. Yes. Every single time. Right. E it, even with as little as like 60,000 miles on them, they're still like got engine not going on or not shifting properly. And um, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I think that Fiat's build quality is definitely not the best. And I will say, though, every time I get into a Jeep Re Renegade, yeah. same thing. Yeah, those are also in some cases a little questionable, especially the early ones. Um, yeah, that's the other thing. Oh, these have a, I think they had a dual clutch transmission or something. It's something weird about the automatic, if I remember right. Um, this is just, don't buy a 500L. I will be visually sad if you buy one. If I buy a 500L? Yeah. I would like a 500X or a Jeep Renegade. I actually think I like the way those yeah, look Yeah, and the X is bit, okay, but... and they actually offer some off-road capability, right? Um, but these are just no. And yeah. look at the steering wheel. Why is it square? <laughs> it kind of looks like a, a regular Fiat 500 steering wheel, doesn't it? No. That's like <laughs> this cute little round thing. This thing's got like square bits in it. Ugh, absolutely not, Brendan. Yeah. Skip the 500L. But moving on to your least favorite car on the list today. Yes. The Cadillac Elante. Yeah, and I think that's the worst car we're going to talk about today. So this <laughs> worse, came out. Worse than a Mustang too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wow. I really don't like the Cadillac Elante. And, and, and I'll allude to why at the end here. Uh, but this came out in 1987, sold through 1993. And this was at a time where Cadillac was seeking, they wanted to compete with like, Jaguar at the time and Mercedes that were making really beautiful, nice drop-top coupes, right? Sure. And so they went to Europe, which was known for making beautiful drop-top coupes, and hired Pininfarina to make this. And I think this is the worst-looking Pininfarina vehicle of all time. Wow. Yes. Bold statement. Pininfarina has made some very beautiful cars. This is not one of them. I mean, it's, you think it's ugly? Yes. It's just kind of 80s square. Well, it's 80s square, and they, they broke the cardinal rule of making a cool drop-top roadster, and they made it front-wheel drive. Well, I think Cadillac made it front-wheel drive. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Pininfarina was at fault Well, Pininfarina there. designed this from the ground up. And, I mean, they had to use a Cadillac platform. They chose sure. the Eldorado platform. But they designed this from the ground up, and I think they even helped build it, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they – there's something weird about these. I think they flew them over to the States on, like, a plane. Yeah, I think if so, that's too. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they were really expensive back when they came out. And they and they came out with V8s, um, which is good for a drop-top coupe. But, again, front-wheel drive, V8. Um, and the first V8 that came out with it only had 170 horsepower. So it was pretty anemic as well. Sure. But here, herein lies the biggest issue with it. Yep. This was the car that introduced the worst engine ever, <laughs> the North Star V8. In 1993, they put the this was the first car that they put the North Star V8 into, and it was a 4.6 liter V8 that took what Cadillac had been, and GM in general had been making some great V8 engines for a long time, um, but the North Star 
for whatever reason, they decided to make this super complicated, hard to work on V8 engine and put it in all of their high-end luxury vehicles. Well, it was supposed to be world-beating. It's supposed to be. Liquid-cooled alternator, if I remember right. You know, really advanced stuff. More like world disintegrating. <laughs> yeah, these things were just... They, they were so problematic that, like, if you had a head gasket go, the amount of hours that would have to be put into uh, fixing the head gasket on that you would literally be cheaper to just go out and buy a brand new engine and put it in. Isn't there a tiny part of you that kind of wants one? I've owned two North Star V8 vehicles. No, 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 not the North Star. Horrible. I agree. But an Elante. No. Like an early Elante, like late 80s Elante. I mean, if you were to get one, I mean, definitely it... get one 92 or later. But no, it, there... For the amount of money that you'd have to spend to get one of these, because these are still fetching into the mid to high teens, which to me just seems silly. Wouldn't you just rather have like a Mercedes SL? Yeah, but it's also going to have problems, as we have found that's, that with well, ours. Yeah, that's true. But this is your definition, Brendan, of a comfy cruiser. Yeah, but it's it's very cramped comfy cruiser, <laughs> and it's not a reliable comfy cruiser, and it's just I don't look at those it just squishy seats. Yeah. And the, the digital gauges, there's no part of you that wants to experience that retro flair of the digital gauges? There's so many other. Like, I would rather have Case's Corvette. And if you think about it that way, you can get that in convertible version. It's another GM vehicle that had a better V8. Right. That put out more power to the rear wheels and was more engaging to drive that you can also drop the top and get digital instrument cluster for what? 30% less than but what you'd spend on an Elante? Is it comfy? Yeah, they're That's comfy That's the difference. That it's is the It's the comfiness that, that... Oh, look, they're not great cars, the Elante. But the this is your least favorite car, huh? Every time I see one, I throw up in my mouth a little bit. Wow, wow. Yeah, they're terrible. They're pretty advanced technologies back in the day, though. They pioneered some things in this car. And, you know, there's not even a small party that likes the look of it. No. Like that, that crisp line between the headlight and the pointed flat grill. You know what it looks like to me? What? It, it looks like, um, it looks very similar to another car that I don't like, that I, I didn't quite make the list. It'd be number six. It'd be the, uh, the, the what was it, the Chrysler... Or, yeah, the Chrysler TC by Maserati. Oh, yes. It looks a lot like they that. They competed. They yeah. were head to head. But this one's a little square. Right. I think this one looks a little better. No oh, part man. of you? None. Not, none at all? Even with I all would those never buttons? want to own one of those. All right. Well, folks, let us know what you think of Brendan's hot takes and my hot takes in the comment section below. Who is right on the money on this? Who is off the rocker? Yeah. And uh, if you want to support the team, check out Patreon.com. If you want to submit a vehicle to sell over at TFL Bids, check out TFLBids.com. And as always, this has been Tommy. And Brendan. We'll see you on another episode of the TFL Classics Podcast. Different from the car or the truck one. It's not the same for that person that left us a negative review. It's not. It's a different podcast that happens at a different we're, time of the we're week. We're so sorry we're talking about old cars. But, yes, some yeah. people do like it. Not many, apparently, <laughs> but some. We'll see you on the next video. Thanks, guys.